0: Welcome to the Who Will Tell Your Story, an oral history series for the Community of Northridge Presbyterian Church podcast. I am Savannah Shivers, the pastoral resident here, and I will be your podcast host. This podcast focuses on nine oral histories, or life stories, of the members of Northridge that centers on one topic, speaking on faith journeys, specifically how faith journeys relate to God's work and members' past and present major life experiences. Everyone's faith journey is different because we are all unique. Some people have steady faith journeys, where they always feel close to God, and some people have peaks and valleys in their faith journeys, where they sometimes feel close to God, and sometimes they do not. There is no right or wrong faith journey. There are just faith journeys. So, over the course of this podcast, we will hear nine different faith stories from nine different individuals. These individuals represent the rich diversity of Northridge members in terms of age, experience, and different identities. I believe that sharing one's faith story serves as a way to connect and get to know each other better and more deeply. It is also a way to help build community by getting to know people and their life stories. After all, the church is a community of unique and diverse people that comes together in fellowship to worship God. We are the church together, so let us learn about each other's life stories. Let's get started. Today, I'm here with Mel Green, and Nell is gonna share part of her story with us. Go ahead, Mel. Well, I grew up Presbyterian,
1: In a church. And I went every Sunday, and they did not have nurseries at that time, so I slept on the pew (laughs) during church. And then I learned my numbers by going through the hymn book from one to a hundred. And in that time, although I know that going through Sunday school all those years, I'll also say that my brother had an eight-year never having missed Sunday school. I remember one time we were traveling, and we had to stop at a church on the way, and we were treated like royalty because <laughs> they thought that was so neat that we were coming in to Sunday school in church. Anyway, that's sort of how I started out, baptized and all in the church. And even though I went to Sunday school every Sunday, for some reason or other, I missed the part that Jesus is Lord. What I got was, be a good girl. And that's what a Christian did was they were a good girl. And that is somewhat like the Pharisees did by doing every little thing that they were supposed to do, tithing mint and dill (laughs) whatever. And so all into my, I guess, into my 30s, that's where I was trying to do the best that I could. Took all the offices in church and all of that sort of thing and even taught the women's Bible study when I was still in college. So and boy did I work to do that. <laughs> Cause they were sort of like my age now in the seventies and eighties, you know, and so on. And and here I was in my barely twenties. So but I struggled through and did whatever and learned a lot. And one of the things that I learned was to show up that if I was not prepared, there would be somebody there that was prepared, but they didn't want to take the leadership. And so it would turn out better than if I had been prepared, but I still needed and should do the best I could. But there were occasions when my best was not good enough. And so it was a good thing for me to learn. And that's sort of the background and. I think that's pretty much how I came to the next place of, was anybody involved in the moment when I had a real awakening? And I was well into my 30s, probably, before I realized what it meant for Jesus to be Lord. I mean, I thought of him as Savior, like only probably Savior from anything terrible bad happening, (laughs) which is not, not the kind of Savior that is the true savior. And so realizing that Jesus needed to be Lord in my life, I realized that I needed to get to know him better. And to get to know him better, I had to study the scripture and do devotional times on my own and be with other Christians who had walked the walk. And so I really started doing that big time. And then there was realization that one of our children was not developing the way we would hope that he would. He had learning differences and he was, well, we weren't sure at the time, but he was gay and not responding to things as other little boys did. And so that was a time when a neighbor came and knocked on my door and said, we've got to have a Bible study on the street, you know, on the block where I live. Would I like to come? And I did. And it was the first time that I realized that the answer to how are things going or how are you doing was not fine. I well, thought That was just the answer. Are you okay? How's everything going? And you know, I just thought the answer was, oh, it's just fine. Well, in this group, I learned that you could say how it really was going and you could have them care. They would ask after you told them, they'd actually ask, well, how is that situation that you told us about last week? They would remember and care. That was a real learning experience for me. This was when the boys were like six and eight years old we put Charlie, the oldest one who is gay, in counseling and that went on for a good while. But when they became teenagers, that was a time when I just did not know what to do. And we made it through. But when Charlie became, when he went off to college and he started signing his name, A.C. Green, What a relief. It was absolutely Charlie. And so that was a big relief. I didn't feel responsible anymore for anything but to love him. So I imagine it was about that time, although I had been working on knowing Jesus better all along, it was probably about the time they were in college that I recognized forgiveness as a real possibility. I know that in losing anything, especially if you feel responsible for it, the grief is so much worse than if you lose and you were not responsible for it. I remember I had a calf when I was a child that it was my responsibility. Well, she grew up and I got her when she was first born and it was a very special thing for me. But then when she got calf, became a cow and was having calves, I was supposed to feed her. And I did, but I didn't do it like my dad told me to. He said, you have to feed her at a regular time or she won't go and forage during the winter and she'll be real poorly nourished and she'll die in calf birth. That very thing happened. And <laughs> because I just wasn't able to make myself feed her at the same time every day. So she would just hang around to be fed and then go out and graze. And oh my goodness, I grieved over that cow. And then I didn't realize it, it until. I lost my parents when my dad died when he was 51 and my mother when she was 56. And it was a surprise to me that I didn't grieve (laughs) over the loss of my parents who I cared a lot more about than the calf. And then I saw the difference. I felt responsible for the death of the calf and I did not feel responsible for the death of my parents. And that was a good thing for me to learn keep things where you don't need to feel guilty over. But at the same time, knowing that if I do my best and it's not good enough to make everything turn out right, that I have a savior who forgives me. So I don't need to go around carrying guilt over anything longer than recognizing that I'm guilty, but I can turn it loose. Right then, so that I can be clean and ready to serve, the next opportunity comes. (laughs) Because if you're weighed down with something that's in the past, you're closed off to what the future might be that the Lord wants you to do. So that was really good. After I lost my parents, I was 23 when my mother died. And I was 18 when my father died. So I was uh, amazed that here I am, 81, still perking. (laughs) I've been very blessed with good health. There've been several people that have said things that really stuck with me and made a difference in the way I turned. Manita Speaker was one, and she's the one that said something that made me know Jesus is Lord, which means that I should be obedient to him. And I had always been a people pleaser. And actually, that was a gift that I was a people pleaser. And it made it easier, I think, for me to then become a God pleaser and not worry about whether everybody was pleased with me or not uh, so much. Because if I felt like I was pleasing God, then everybody didn't have to understand what I was doing or why I was doing it. And that was according to the feelings that that brought was relief, a real relief. You know, if somebody I saw was displeased because I didn't do this or did that, and I really felt that that's what I needed to do because I felt like that's the way the Lord was leading me, then I could just let it go and not worry about how or feel like I had to do something to make them feel better or whatever. I would be kindly toward them, but I didn't have to take it on myself. And that was such a relief. Somebody that I really admire in the church came to me to ask, can I be president of the women of the church again? And I felt like at that particular time, the answer was no. And I said no, and they just, I could just tell, they didn't understand why, why keep you? Well, because that's not where I'm supposed to be right now. <laughs> so I let it go and that person still loves me. There was relief in that, but the impact that it had on my life was not that I changed hardly anything that I was doing. It was just the feeling that I had about doing it was not like it was something that I had to do or was burdened with, but something that was for me to do. And and I had more confidence about being able to do it either on my own or that the Lord would send whoever was to help me. And I would keep my eyes open to recognize them and let them help, which I think because I've never felt like I could do anything as a child, I just somehow or another felt like anybody could do it better than I could. And so by coming into everything that way, it made it easier for me to see the person that would help me. And so it was a gift, really. can totally trust that he will be there with me and that I can get through anything that comes <laughs> and that I'll know what to do in the right timing. And that's good. I guess when I've known that the most, and I'll cry. <laughs> that's just when I lost Terrell, <laughs> my husband. <laughs> but I got through it beautifully. <laughs> but I had 53 good years with him. I have two boys that love me and I love them. And I realized getting through that, that I could get through anything. But that very year, he died in August and I had already signed up to be president of the Church again to teach Sunday school. And so September, I was doing that. Plus I had also signed up to kind of mentor an intern at the mm-hmm. church. There were several of us that were doing that, and all of those things were many, meaningful to me to do, and people would offer, oh, you don't have to do that because he had just died, but I needed to do it, so I did, and it was good. But there was one thing that I did let go of because I was doing it just because Harold was mission committee, and I had already completed the part that I had taken on, but you know you'd continue with the meetings the rest of the year and the reason i took that commitment on was because harold was on the property committee and we could ride together over to the meeting and i thought that's not something that i need to keep on doing <laughs> I let that go. but otherwise i continued doing the things that were meaningful to me to do and it's good <laughs>
0: I was wondering, you've mentioned scripture a couple times, if any particular scripture passages have resonated in your life through your journey.
1: Love your aim is very meaningful to me so that I figure anybody that's standing in front of me is a person to be loved. And so that in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or another way I've read it in the Living Bible, which is a paraphrase but the Lord is my shepherd I have everything I need and that made it more rather than I shall not want I have everything I need it's just very meaningful to me and so I guess after losing Harold I really have not had any problem doing the devotional almost every day it's just has been easier and more helpful because I've relied more on the Lord <laughs> Well, how Joyful Noise started, Kay Cox said that she would wanted to start a singing group when she retired. Well, she retired and she didn't start it. And it went on and on. I want to be in it when you do. I want... And then when I got off the deacon's board and I was taking Molly Tide and several other women to circle and to church and whatever, I asked Molly, would it be okay if we met at her house? Because she need to be carried places if we started the Joyful Noise group. And I went through the session and asked them, told them what I thought it would be. And they asked me at the session meeting, well, what's the name of it? And I had not thought of what the name (laughs) of it was. And I said, but I thought, what the purpose of it was for anybody that wanted to sing, whether they were in the choir or could carry a tune in a basket or not. And so I said, Well, it's the joyful noise. (laughs) Unto the Lord, all ye land. We just stopped with the joyful noise. So we met for at least five years at her house till she was no longer able to have us, really. And then we met at C.C. Young's for a while because we had some members that were living at C.C. Young. Now we meet at the church. So that's the history of it. It
0: started in 2013.
1: Isn't that something? It seems meaningful to the ones that come. And we start with the Lord's Prayer and we sing for 30 minutes and then we share joys and concerns and we end. Just last an hour and has brought this group that's in there very close to each other. Through the years, based on that group that first made me aware that the answer to how are you is not fine. I thought, well, I need to bring that group to my church. And it started out very small in my home. And Emily Caird was in there. And Emily Caird and I have had a lot of the spiritual walk together. We studied prayer, meditation, and all different ways. Learned most from the Catholic Church, actually. I mean, from the Catholic writers but got books out of the library and studied about dreams and all kinds of stuff anyway but all in seeking and searching and that was much earlier in right after emily came to northridge along in there a year maybe she'd been there a year before we started doing all of that because of that group that met on my street that catholics started but they welcomed all people from any denomination and i decided bring it to Northridge. I don't know how many different groups I started that were support groups at Northridge. Northridge had no support group type things, anything like that going. But since the 1970s, probably, I've had a group going. But there have been lots of different takes on how to approach being in touch with God, really. And then we had one where we took colors that would mean, well, it had a positive meaning meaning and a negative meaning. And you chose a word, a positive and a negative, you know, in other words, like love and fear. And you would say why you chose that. And with the color thing, we drew a picture of where we were in a bad place and used the colors that that were appropriate for our feelings. And you didn't have to be an artist. (laughs) But anyway, there've been lots of different groups and different promptings on where to find what we needed to go with. One of them was Richard Foster's Freedom Through Discipline. I think that was a Sunday school class that I led. It's been a trek. I've created what I needed and found those other people that needed it too. And not everybody seems to. I mean, you know, not everybody wants to be in something like, they don't want to be vulnerable. And you just can't be vulnerable until you are willing to be. So, you just love them. I was able to live in my house alone for six years. And I needed to do that to see that I could and take care of everything that went wrong with it. (laughs) And then I was able to sell it on my own terms when I was ready to and bring out of it what I wanted to bring to this apartment and meet the most delightful people that live here, find out what interests me that they offer in the clubhouse. You know, I belong to a pins and needles group and a Bible study and a book club. And I've continued with the book club that I belonged to before I came here. And I've continued with Joyful Noise that I did before I came here. I decided to quit driving in September last year. (laughs) You know, in other words, 2022. (laughs) Yeah, it's last year, but it wasn't that long ago. But before I decided to give up the car, I looked into Dart Rides. I mean, into Dart and found Dart Rides. And anybody over 65 can get that and it's 75% subsidized. So, you know, if I put in $5, I get $20 worth of ride. So I started experiencing the different drivers and it is amazing you know they're taking me to church and so it comes up sort of and I visit with most of them very few that just are about taking you from here to there and they've got the radio going and they really are not into visiting but most of them respond wonderfully when you ask do you have family around and how are you a regular driver or do you have another career that you're working on you know you just have a conversation like that with them and and almost with everyone before the ride is over we're talking about god and i'm sharing what i know of god and they're sharing what they know of god and I've had many of them say, oh, it's been such a blessing to have you in the car, <laughs> you know, which is such a blessing to me. <laughs> and so this is a new adventure. I've had the same driver two times. And since September to now, that has been when I've ridden with the same person twice. Every one, I get to share anything that seems to come up that I know of God. Isn't that amazing? I mean, how often do you get to, you know, we're, told in Scripture to welcome the stranger. I get a stranger twice a week, for sure. Well, and there are two drivers for each time, every week. Isn't that amazing? That plus being here where we have a continental breakfast every morning and there's a place to be of service there with some of the residents that can't walk when I still can, and they make their way over there. So I guess I learned when I was in my 30s that visiting Bird Edwards, who is Roger Quillen's grandmother, I visited her in the nursing home, and she shared with me, I can't even scratch my own nose. She had arthritis so bad, and she was in bed. And I had felt kind of guilty that I had not visited her more. But that visit, there wasn't anything said about when I hadn't visited her. It was all about that I was visiting her now. And she made me feel like I hung the moon, but I learned from that specific sharing that as long as there is breath, there is a way to serve. In other words, if I can't even scratch my nose like she couldn't, I can still make the person that comes in my room feel loved and appreciated for what they're doing. So it makes me open to the opportunities to serve and Walking with the Lord, he opens up what they are. In other words, it's just a moment by moment. I mean, when I do my devotional, the cat always sits in my lap. I mean, she just immediately is there. So she gets a blessing. And I wasn't going to have a cat, have another cat, after I lost the last one. Because I thought, they'll outlive me. You know, I don't need another cat. They can live 20 years, you know. So, but I missed having a pet. So I'm going to foster She was my first foster, and nobody wanted her. She's beautiful, and and she's so sweet with me. I just enjoy her so much. She's not hard to deal with at all, but she hisses at anybody that tries to approach her, and she would slap them, too, if they put their hand close enough. But if you leave her alone, you know, she might rub up against you, but she doesn't want you looking at her and going toward her at all. And She's just a one-person cat, and... After fostering from March till October, I decided I'm not going to get rid of this cancer. <laughs> Thank you for talking
0: with me today and sharing your story. It is a true blessing.
1: Oh, that's good.